Chapter Six of Woman as Decoration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Woman as Decoration by Emily Burbank. Chapter Six Color in Woman's Costume. Color is the hallmark of our day, and woman decoratively costumed, and as decorator, will be largely responsible for recording this age as one of distinct importance, a transition period in decoration. Color is the most marked expression of the spirit of the times. Color in woman's clothes, color in house furnishing, color on the stage and in its setting, color in prose and verse. Speaking of color in verse, Rudyard Kipling says, we quote from an editorial in the Philadelphia Public Ledger, January 7, 1917. Several songs written by Tommy and the Poilu at the front celebrate the glories of camp life in such vivid colors they could not be reproduced in cold black leaden type. It is no mere chance, this use of vivid color. Man's psychology today craves it. A revolution is on. Did not the strong red, green, and blue of Napoleon's time follow the delicate sky blues, rose, and sunset yellows of the Louis? Color pulses on every side, strong, clean, clear rainbow color, as if our magicians of brush and dye-pot held a prism to the sunbeam. Violet, orange and green, magentas and strong blue against backgrounds of black and cold gray. We had come to think of color as vice, and had grown so conservative in its use, that it had all but disappeared from our persons, our homes, our gardens, our music, and our literature. More than this, from our point of view. The reaction was bound to come by reason of eternal precedent. Half-tones, antique effects, and general monotony, the material expression of complacent minds, has been cast aside and the blasé man of ten years ago is as keen as any child with his first linen picture-book, and for the same reason. Color, as we see it today, came out of the East via Persia. Boxed in Russia translated it into terms of art, and made the ballet russe an amazing enthralling vision. Then Poiret, wizard among French couturiers, assisted by Boxed, adapted this oriental color and line to woman's uses in private life. This supplemented the good work of Le Gazette du Bon Ton of Paris, that effete fashion sheet, devoted to the decoration of woman, whose staff included many of the most gifted French artists, masters of brush and pen. Always irregular, no issue of the Bon Ton has appeared of late. It is held up by the war. The men who made it so fascinating a guide to woman who would be decorative, are at the front, painting scenery for the battlefield, literally that, making mock trees and rocks, grass and hedges and earth, to mislead the fire of the enemy, and doubtless the kindred Munich art has been diverted into similar channels. This oriental color has made its way across Europe like some gorgeous bird of the tropics, and since the war has checked the output of Europe's factories, Another channel has supplied the same wonderful colors in silks and gauze. They come to us by way of the Pacific, from China and from Japan. 
there is no escaping the color spell. Writers from the front tell us that it is as if the gods made sport with fate's anvil, for even the blackened dome of the war zone is lurid by night, with sparks of purple, red, green, yellow, and blue, the flare of the world-destroying projectiles. The present costuming of woman, when she treats herself as decoration, owes much to the profits of the new theatre and their color scale. These men have demonstrated, in an unforgettable manner, the value of color, the dependence of every decorative object upon background, shown how fraught with meaning can be an uncompromising outline, and the suggestiveness of really significant detail. Boxed, Reinhardt, and Granville Barker have taught us the new color vocabulary. Gordon Craig was perhaps the first to show us the stage made suggestive by insisting on the importance of clever lighting to produce atmosphere and elimination of unessential objects, the argument of his school being that the too detailed reproducing of nature, on the stage, acts as a check to the imagination, whereas, by the judicious selection of harmonics, the imagination is stimulated to its utmost creative capacity. One detects this creed today in certain styles of home decoration, woman's background, as well as in woman's costumes. Portable Backgrounds The staging of a recent play showed more plainly than any words the importance of background. In one of the scenes, beautiful artistic gowns and delicate shades were set off by a room with wonderful green walls and woodwork, mignonette. Now, so long as the characters moved about the room, they were thrown into relief most charmingly, but the moment the women seated themselves on a very light-colored and characterless chintz sofa, they lost their decorative value. It was lacking in harmony and contrast. The two black sofa cushions intended possibly to serve as background, being small, instantly disappeared behind the seated women. A sofa of contrasting color or black would have looked better in the room and served as immediate background for gowns. It might have been covered in dark chintz, a silk damask in one or several tones, or a solid color, since the gowns were of delicate indefinite shades. One of the sofas did have a dark Chinese coat thrown over the back, with the intent, no doubt, of serving as effective background, but the point seemed to escape the daintily gowned young woman who poured tea, for she failed to take advantage of it, occupying the opposite end of the sofa. A modern addition to a woman's toilet is a large square of chiffon, edged with narrow metal or crystal fringe, or a gold or silver flexible cord. This scarf is always in beguiling contrast to the costume, and when not being worn is thrown over the chair or end of sofa against which our lady reclines. To a certain degree, this portable background makes a woman decorative when the wrong color on a chair might convert her lovely gown into an eyesore. One woman we know, who has an empire room, admires the lines of her sofa as furniture, but feels it ineffective unless one reclines a la Madame Racamie. To obviate this difficulty, she has made a square, one and a half yards, of lovely soft mauve silk damask, lined with satin charmeuse of the same shade, and weighted by long, heavy tassels at the corners. This she throws over the empire roll and a part of the seat, which are done in antique green velvet. 
Now the woman seated for conversation with arm and elbow resting on the head looks at ease, a part of the composition. The square of soft, lined silk serves at other times as a couvre-pied. End of chapter 6 Recording by Leanne Howlett